how can I better myself before I better others? And for me, at that point, it takes away that dilemma of like, whatever, well, that person's not going to change, so why should I change them? Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. My conversations with RJ are always rich. I've seen him develop into a world-class leader that is leading in the United States, leading in Palestine, and we talk about his work in Palestine— and also his personal work to reduce waste, which came out of this podcast. Both are insightful, and it's no wonder how he's become a successful TEDx speaker, a Dalai Lama fellow from, well, you didn't see it, but I saw him develop from, I think he was a sophomore when he took my course, not having had an idea of what he was going to do in the first place. It all came out from doing the exercises in my course, but that's another story. I especially appreciate our conversations around integrity. If you are interested in going from wherever you are to being a world-class leader or whatever it is for you, I recommend listening because that kind of integrity, when it involves not wasting a single coffee cup, that it matters to him. And the good feeling that comes out of building habits and sticking to your values, I recommend listening to RJ. All right, so this is conversation number three with RJ. And actually now he's back from Palestine. And I guess I should be more specific. You're back from the West Bank. Yeah. And we're in, we're at NYU and we're talking face to face for the first time in a long time. And let's recap where things are. So the first time we spoke, you took on a personal challenge, which was when you got back, you're going to avoid bottled water. Yes. And we're sitting here now and I see that you have a bunch of water, about a liter, it looks like, and it's in a reusable container. Looks like a well-worn usable container. (laughs) And then the last time we spoke, you talked about that. And then you took on a new personal challenge, which was to avoid coffee cups. And so I'm really curious of how things have gone. So let's keep the listeners waiting a bit to hear about the coffee cup situation, because we're also curious about the your project. Yes. So is it okay if I, we talk about that first? Yeah, let's talk about it. Is it actively happening right now? Is it everything on hold while you're back in school? Right now, the students are in the mentorship stage with their counselors. And so it's still actively happening in that the counselors are interacting with the students on a regular basis. They hang out with them, either get dinner or lunch or ice cream, play soccer with them, or just meet up with them just to talk about life. But that's happening as we speak um, on a regular basis. So mentors are people that you found who are already there. You got them set up. Did you get them training or just kind of set them up with accountability? Yeah, the mentors, they're local university students. Many of them are actually pre-law students or law students. And they are people that applied for our program. And we actually had over 20 people apply to be counselors for six positions. I can tell you that I'm very proud of the counselors that we picked and that I think our conversations with after interviewing them between my partner, Hannah and I, we talked a lot about their values. So while there were some people that might've had better on paper resumes, Mm -hmm. might've had a little bit more experience, 
their values didn't necessarily align up with the other ones. So we chose counselors more so based off their values. And in that, I think we found that a real balance in terms of people that are doing it out of the goodness of their heart. So what was a value that you saw that got someone who didn't match as much on paper, but then what was an example of? There's this notion where people say, I like to volunteer and I like to work with kids because it makes me feel really good. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that comes with good intentions, but you're not here to do something that makes you feel good or makes you feel better about the opportunities that you've been given. Mm-hmm. You're here only to serve and you got to see it from that perspective. And so I don't know if that's necessarily a value, but it was a perspective that was really important to us in picking our counselors. We wanted to make sure their intentions were focused on the students rather than themselves and making themselves feel pretty good. This is something that comes up. I forget if it's come up in our conversations before, but listeners to my podcast will hear, this is a major piece in leadership that I find in all the successful leaders. I'm not sure every single one that it's about the others. It's about the people that you're leading. That's it's their emotions. It's their values. It's, it's what's matters to them. It seems in virtually every successful leader that I work with, that's the focus is on the other person. And uh, since you mentioned it, and if people want to get involved, what's the URL of where they can donate? Yeah, uh, leadpalestine.com. If you go on our website on the top right, it says um, either donate or support us. Just click there and I'll take you to the proper page. Okay. And one of the things I often think about with you and Lead Palestine is your story about, I think it's one of the things that inspired you about, sadly, a 12-year-old offering you a cigarette. Do you have any stories from this past summer that have countered that, a different perspective? Do you have any stories from this past summer? Last time, I think I told you the story of that student, Muhammad, who had told his counselor that I just want to live my life. And oh, yeah. Yeah. And that one was, that one was hit, hit me pretty hard. I, I think about that, that moment a lot. And I think Muhammad's doing great with his counselor right now. His counselor is Ahmed. And they still work together. And actually, I had a conversation with Ahmed after the camp, on the last day of the camp. I was mm-hmm. wrapping everything up, cleaning, and closing the doors and everything. And I said, hey, man, you have a big responsibility your shoulders right now with Muhammad. I think whatever you do over this next year, it can change his life. I don't want to put that kind of pressure on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds but difficult. I, but I want you to understand like the opportunity that you have in front of you. Mm-hmm. And so I said, like, just do your best and I'm here for you. But I, like, I really feel that you can do incredible things for this kid. And then there was another student, his name was uh, Ibrahim and he's a really cute kid. I think he's like 10 or 11 years old. He's short, he had these like, big glasses on. The frames were so thick, so his eyes were kind of they looked really big uh, behind the glasses. Mm-hmm. His big, like, beautiful blue eyes. And the kid was just so excited to come to this camp. He was so excited. And he shows up, like, wearing this, like, button-up shirt and just looking really, really good. And uh-huh. he, he dressed to impress that day. And so on the first or second day of the camp, he had told one of the counselors, I think we should just respect each other's ideas more. I think we should listen to each other more. And that makes me sad because no one ever listens to me. And by day four, I watched him just give a presentation to the whole group where this like 10 or 11 year old kid like held the command of all the students and that included 14 and 15 year old you know big boys in the group and mm-hmm. he just commanded their attention so there's a certain level of just like light that shined within it how about you this must have been a transformative experience i shouldn't use the past tense this must be a transformative experience tell a story about yourself if you don't mind sharing yeah. i'll tell you i think this is more of a story of just my own growth and understanding myself as a leader so to give you the context, my Hannah, the co-founder, and one of my best friends, and my cousin Ashraf and I we were all living in the same apartment over the summer. Mm-hmm. So we were sleeping in the same place. We were eating and hanging out in the same place, and we were working in the same place. There was no separation. I mean, 24 hours a day, it was the three of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and when things are going great and you're honeymooning and everyone's getting along well, it's a great time. 
Everyone who's married is listening to this and being like, I know what's coming. <laughs> there was just a moment where it just, I think just as time went on, people got frustrated, you know, little things built up. And so as we were getting closer and closer to the launch of the house, like we were behind schedule. The curriculum wasn't done. It just felt like everything that was supposed to be done last week just still wasn't. And I don't even know if we're going to get it done in time. So then I start assigning these really big expectations in my head to myself. And I expect everyone else around me to live up to that. But these expectations were just kind of unrealistic in that like, I wanted to finish the entire curriculum in one day rather than breaking it down and making more like attainable goals, you know, reachable goals and just like really communicating with my team as to how we're going to achieve it. And in the process, I just became a jerk. Like I didn't want to hang out with Hannah or Ashraf. I didn't want to like spend time with them. I just wanted us to work 24-7. <laughs> so when Hannah would go and work out just to self-care and just to keep her mind and body healthy like i would get annoyed because i'm thinking why isn't she working you know if ashraf went out with some of the friends that he made that night like i'd get really annoyed and frustrated and say man why is he going out all night and sleeping in when we should be working mm-hmm. but i didn't communicate this. and so all i'm doing is i'm just sitting in my room and at the table just pouting 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 mm-hmm. and then rj was wrong uh, never mind don't worry about it and i wouldn't communicate it mm-hmm. and so what this did was it just really, really built up until the day before counselor training in which I actually was doing a workshop for my Dalai Lama fellowship. And it was all about self-care and self-awareness. And it's this idea that in order to take care of others, you got to take care of yourself. In order to take care of yourself, you got to know yourself. You got to know you know, what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. It was a really powerful module in which it was literally three hours of reflections. And so in that reflection period, that's when I came to the realization that you know, man, you're not communicating any of this. You're signing all these unrealistic expectations that you not not only yourself can live up to, but they can't live up to either. And it came to the conclusion that I got to talk. I got to have a real honest conversation with Hannah and Ashra. So I did. Most of this conversation between Hannah and I, because that's kind of where most of the problems came from. And it was a long conversation. It was like two and a half hours long. There were tears and it just came to the realization that we got to talk and we're there for each other. We communicate with how... Each of us needs to hear from each other when we need help, what we need, when we don't need help, how to act with one another. And it also led to us really dividing up responsibilities of the Palestine. When I brought Hannah on a year and a half ago, I said, you're my equal, everything's 50-50. You know, we're co-founders and we're co-directors. But she says, RJ, I love you and you're my best friend, but like, let's not kid ourselves. Like, this is your vision. This is your dream. This is, you're the one that put in like more money and more time and more energy into this. So we don't need to be co-directors. Let's redesign that whole structure. And so what that did was us coming away saying, I'm the director and she's a producer. And I have a very set list of responsibilities and things. She has her own set list of responsibilities and things that allowed us to really work together in a way that we filled each other's blanks, kind of work to each other's strengths and weaknesses. And my realization from that was in this whole time that I'm trying to design this leadership program for Palestinian kids, I'm trying to teach them how to become leaders. I was just kind of exhibiting really yeah. myself and within my own team. And that was, I think, a really important moment just for my own growth. I think integrity is a huge component to leadership. And um, it's not a thing where you can take a break from it. It's a thing where you're always on the clock. You're always responsible for your actions. I want to go back a minute to, you talked about your vision. You and Hannah talked about your vision. Before that, you also talked about, I don't want to live, put all this too much responsibility on Ahmed, I think his name was. But you're taking on a lot of responsibility and you're shouldering a lot. There must be a lot motivating you, which I anticipate a vision for the future must be a big piece of it. It must have changed over your time there. It must have evolved. It must be evolving currently. Talk about what you're seeing coming out of this. 
how it's changed. I'm trying to figure that out myself. I think one of the biggest components to leave Palestine is where the goals is to achieve like real sustainability, sustainability in terms of like the project running on its own, whether or not I'm a part of it. And that we're really trying to empower this local community to take control of it. And so I see my role over the next year or two with Lee Palestine in this position where I absolve myself of the day-to-day responsibilities, but really empower either the counselors or hire people from Palestine to take this on. And that we share the vision, we share the ideas. And I am now able to leverage my networks in terms of the money and whatever resources might need to make this happen. But I want to develop it into something where the day-to-day decisions and that real vision is not just mine, but where it's led and developed and implemented by people. on <clears throat> And that will then allow us, because I know very well, I won't be able to do lead Palestine, lead Syria, lead Jordan, you know, lead Tunisia, lead Libya, like all on my own. I, while finishing NYU. While, yeah. while graduate. If that, you know, God willing, it, it grows to be something like that. But in order for that to happen, I got to share that responsibility. I got to share that position. You got to delegate. I got to But it's more than delegation. Because I, I feel like with delegating, it's like, I don't want to be the director of the Palestine. I guess I want to have a new director of the Palestine mm-hmm. who is really on the ground. And I think that's kind of one of our big barriers to real growth. Succession. You can't think about that when you think about getting started. Yeah. I mean, you can, I guess, but it's like way ahead of yourself. Yeah. It would be weird to start thinking about succession when you're just getting started. Okay, I'm going to talk to listeners. Is that One of the big things for me is that, and I think this may resonate with you, is I'm happy if people listen to this podcast and they follow and they say, oh, I can do this stuff. I can reduce my impact and things like that. What I really want is to produce leaders. I want people to listen to this and say, I love what Josh is doing. It's changed my life. It's changed my environment. But what he's doing doesn't resonate at all with my other communities. And if it's going to resonate with other communities, someone's got to do that. It's not going to be Josh because seven and a half billion people in the world, Josh is going to connect with what fraction? A really small fraction. And yet every single person's impact makes a difference. So I hope people are listening to this. And I hope one of the big things that comes out of this is people say, all right, I'm going to bring this to France, or I'm going to bring this to the Southern Hemisphere. I'm going to bring this to people of this economic class or this skin color or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. And I don't want to know. I, like, I want to be good at what I'm good at. I'm happy for other people to take it from me and like go lead their thing. And so, you know, I really want to produce leaders. Yeah, I want followers as well because some people don't want to lead. And some people are in my community. They don't have any access to anyone else anyway. But overall, I hope there's a lot of people who are like, I hope Josh is great for whatever he does, but he sucks for this other place or this other time or this other whatever. So let's start talking coffee cups. (laughs) So uh, how much coffee do you drink? And how often do you go out for, do you get it from a place that would be disposable? Is this like a big deal for you or is this just like... Okay, because I know that there are going to be like coffee drinkers out there who are listening to this thinking like, oh, yeah, well, if he drinks like a cup of coffee every now and then, he doesn't like not even in my league. And I would say about when I was drinking from paper coffee cups, or disposable coffee cups, probably three, potentially four a day. Uh-huh. And since I've started using a reusable mug, it's probably about once, maybe twice a day I'll drink coffee. Mm-hmm. So a couple of interesting things happen. One, I completely cut down the coffee into, which is probably good. I don't think I need to be drinking three or four cups of coffee a day. And second, I save money that I'm not paying three or four cups of coffee a day. And then um, third is, you know, that really adds up. I'm drinking three or four cups a day. And you do the math, that's over a thousand coffee cups a year. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot more. And so it's been a, a really good experience overall. It's been easy. I, I don't think it's been super difficult. There have definitely been moments, like for example, I was on a retreat about three weeks ago 
And I was really tired. We were about to get on the bus and I just wanted a coffee for the bus. And I didn't have my mug on. Mm-hmm. And I was walking to go get this coffee and I was thinking, it's okay, I can use one uh-huh. disposable cup. And I literally had the cup in my hand and I was about to you know, pour the coffee into it. So you like in a deli or something, you got a coffee cup and there's a, a canister yeah. that you're going to fill into the empty coffee cup. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was literally about to, I think my hand was on the thing. <laughs> so, and I put the coffee cup back down. I said, I'm fine. And I walked away. I said no to that coffee. And, um, you know, for some people that might sound like a really small thing, but I think that was like a moment of ultimate integrity for myself. Cause no one around there really knew like what I was doing. Mm-hmm. They didn't know that I was taking on this new challenge to uh, not use disposable coffee cups anymore. But I was really proud of myself. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. So it starts with this little thing. This is a big thing that I'm learning about in this podcast series is that people say little things add up to big things. I'm not going to argue against that, but little things, it's acting leads you to change your mindset and that leads to big things. So this little thing that you did now, one coffee cup, not a big deal, but the integrity that develops from it, how long ago was that? A week ago, two weeks ago, a month ago? Okay. Not that much time before it shows up in some really big place. Like someday you'll be talking to the Dalai Lama or something like that. And it will be like, you'll be talking to someone where it makes a big, big difference. Or you will be the Dalai Lama of, you know, you'll be like some major person and you'll be like that thing that I did that time, it adds up to this. And if you don't make these little changes, you will never make the big changes. And if you do make the little changes, you can't help but make the big changes. I mean, I guess there'll be people who do the little changes and then slide back. Darn. But how did it feel? That felt great. I mean, I think that really goes into my understanding of integrity being a big part of who I want to be. And this is just a part of maintaining that integrity. Can you be more specific? It felt great. I mean, great. Were you satisfied? Were you? I was just really proud of myself. I actually thought about stealing because they did have. (laughs) (laughs) Let the record show, Your Honor, that. (laughs) They had like, you know, like these glass or coffee mugs that Uh I was, you know, really using like reusable stuff. I thought, well, if I take one of those mugs and just take it home, I can use it at home. I'm not wasting. <laughs> the mind does this. Yeah. But I said, no, that's wrong too. But I was really proud of myself, especially because I drink a lot of coffee. I drink a lot of coffee. And to give you an idea, like when Ramadan rolls around, that's the Muslim holy month of fasting, where you fast from sunrise to sunset, no food, no water, from sunrise to sunset for 30 days. That month is so hard for me, especially with the coffee. Like mm-hmm. when I'm absolutely addicted to coffee, I want coffee every day. I want it every morning. And when to not have that, you know, one Ramadan, when the day before Ramadan starts, I'm drinking three cups of coffee a day. It gets really difficult. So I think this will help me in my preparations for Ramadan when Ramadan rolls around, because there are days now where I'm not even drinking coffee. Like today I haven't had coffee yet. I feel pretty good. Well, you're hanging out with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have to say that mine not flying for now I'm like about 18 months in. What looked before, like when you don't think about the consequences of your actions on others, talk about privilege. People have no idea how internal combustion engines work or jet engines work, have no clue of how aerodynamics work. 
are so entitled about flying. They're like, of course I can fly whenever I want. I'm like, 200 years ago, no one had any conception that it was even conceivable. And you won't even consider not doing it. And you're calling other people privileged. And so you adopt this mindset of, or you choose to not do stuff that you, what used to be like an unparalleled good for you, or for me, I'll speak in, in the first person. What used to be like travel is good. There's just no downside to it. And then I think, wait a minute, there's externalities. It's not like these planes aren't just flying around on their own. There's a lot of jet fuel involved, years worth of driving equivalent. And then you're like, oh, maybe there's an, another side to this. And what used to look like an unparalleled good, you start thinking that looks like a privilege. And you start thinking that looked like a craving. I predict that less coffee will bring you more something. Yeah. For me, like I remember I had a friend who was like, I got my PhD and I don't drink coffee. He was like, how could you possibly get a PhD without having coffee all the time? And I think in terms of getting things done, the more dependent you are on other things, the more you deprive yourself of your own capabilities, your own abilities. For me, it's, I mean, I think it's, coffee is a substance. I think it definitely has an addictive element to it. It has, you know, the caffeine has some impact on your brain. That's undeniable. And so it's, it's also to really try and rid myself of just any sort of like dependency on any sort of substances, whether it's smoking or drinking or coffee. But I think it, it really kind of helps your mindset. And for me, for example, like, especially with water, I can't, I haven't had a soda in so long. And I think a lot of that has come with just having this reusable water bottle with and that you know i don't want to buy that gatorade or that coke from the store because that's still plastic so like what am i still doing buying it if my whole thing is to not use plastic bottles i'm still using a plastic bottle and so that's helped me also just really lower my sugar intake from random drinks which is terrible i mean the kind of impact it has on your body is just absolutely horrendous and how does that affect your perception of society around you people didn't see the look of the nodding the look of like oh yeah, like a yes. I feel like I just judge people constantly now. But in like a... Uh, are you judging them or are you judging yourself before? I think that makes it sting a lot more. Maybe judging myself. I mean, you just look around and you just see all of these plastic water bottles, all these paper coffee cups. And, but you just look around at everyone drinking all these things. Mindlessly. Yeah. And I feel like if someone just talks to me like, hey, I have an idea. What if you just get a reusable water bottle and you get a uh, reusable coffee mug? So is it safe to say, you know what you like about coffee. You know the value of coffee. If you're choosing not coffee, it's not out of ignorance, it's out of knowledge. So that time when you chose not coffee over coffee, that is the definition of improving your life. You'd have something that's in your life and you're choosing something else more than that. That is by your values better. Other people might not value it that way, but I think I hope people listening are thinking, if you're thinking, oh, I don't want to do that because it's, I like coffee and I'm going to get less coffee now, your life is going to be better. Like when I choose not flying over flying, I'm not missing Machu Picchu. I'm getting the ability to create adventure in my own life, the ability to find beauty in the world where I am, the ability not to crave, but instead to enjoy. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's a lot about your intentions. You know, like, for example, my intention with it was never to lower my coffee intake. I feel like if that were my intention, I don't know if I would have taken on the challenge, but to really, my intention was to be very mindful of my consumption and with that small thing that I do in my life, you know, three or four times a day. And with that, there've been a lot of positive externalities. Are, are there any negative externalities? Have you just brought in any problems? I don't think so. I can't see any. I mean, nothing that really comes to mind. So you're saving money, learning more about yourself, gaining independence, polluting less. This is an unparalleled good, right? It was sitting there all the time. How come you didn't do it before? Didn't think about it. 
No, never was challenged, I think. And I hope this podcast really kicks in because who doesn't want that? Like to spend no money, to save money, to improve their life. How about your relationships with others? Are you not drinking coffee with people you used to drink coffee with? And, or were there any challenges that other people brought in? It's when people ask me to get them a coffee. And like, for example, I was going to go get some coffee and I texted a friend. I said, hey man, I'm going to grab some coffee. You want to come with me? He goes, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm in front of the building. He says, hey, do you mind just bring me back one? And I did. I didn't know how to say no. Yeah. I won't do it. But that's like the hardest part when you know that it's so antithetical to what you're trying to do in your own life right now by going and buying that large <laughs> cup of coffee and holding it. But I think those have been some of the most challenging parts to it when someone asks for coffee. The two big things that I've seen that are challenges, unforeseen things, usually the interface with other people, which I think in the long run, that interfaces when we have enough, a lot of leaders, then it'll go the other way and we'll be influencing others. And the other is travel. When people say, I'm going to do X, and then they travel and they're outside of their environment is less under their control or even not under their control, but like unpredictable. And then it becomes harder for them. On the flip side, that's where you learn and grow as well. Yeah, absolutely. So RJ today, looking at RJ of three years ago. Oh, RJ three years ago. Because <laughs> you're acting up. <laughs> I don't know. Just, just think. I would just say slow down and just think for a second before you do. What would that RJ say to you? That RJ is a cocky MF. <laughs> and he'd be like, oh, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I'm great. So then what would you say to Because he wouldn't listen, right? He wouldn't be like, oh, slow down. He'd be like, well, I'm getting shit done. I would show the, like the real benefits that have come to my life and mm. say like, no, this is not just warrantless advice or without any sort of backing that there's real benefits. Like the RJ, me three years ago was, I think, very motivated by, I'm still motivated by results. But this, so that's, that's been a constant. Life. I'm always been motivated by my results. They're trying to, get to that next level, trying to be the best that I can be. And to really show that this can be the way that I can become the best that I can be. The more meaningful results. Yeah, meaningful. And that's where I think it's really important. Because when I first started college, all that, my goal was to like create a startup. And I remember I was, I literally would tell people, like, make my first billion by the time I'm 25. Uh-huh. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> like, where's the meaning in that? Like, why does that matter if I'm not like living like a meaningful life? Mm-hmm setting a meaningful example. So I also try and show myself the importance of really being happy and really finding that meaning in your actions. This escalated pretty, it's yeah. like pretty big. And I suspect that you're finding that the more that you take on in these areas, the more happiness you get, the more meaning you get, the more purpose you get. And it's pretty tough to compare meaning in your life against disposable coffee cups. <laughs> like, which would you prefer? I mean, in principle, you can have both. But if sacrificing one gives you the other, give up the coffee cups. <laughs> it's not just that it's not just the coffee cups, but it's the kind of habits that you build in every interaction and in other parts of your life. Oh, yeah. So people are listening. You won't be able to listen to this for a while, but people who are listening. Listen to the one with Dove Barron, because this guy, Dove, his personal challenge was to he's got this Jaguar his whole life. He loves Jaguars. And he finally got a Jaguar, the car. And uh, his personal challenge to me was he was going to go, I think it was one month. I forget the time period. In that time period, he was only going to put on 100 kilometers on it. He lives in Canada, so it's kilometers. So I spoke to him a week or two ago and I was asking how it was. And he was like, it was incredible. Very similar stuff to what you had, except with a car instead of with coffee cups. And in fact, that experience you had of not like having it in your hand and you could have done it. He was at 90 kilometers and he says, if I just drive a little bit, I know I'm going to go over. So I can't even drive. He goes out and sits in the car and there's an exercise that he does. He walks his clients through, which is like our three raisins exercise, but he does it with um, 
when you eat a meal, just eat very with full intention and so forth. And think about where did the food come from and the web of people that made it happen and the web of nature and so forth. And he goes out and sits in the car and he does it with the car, all the wood paneling, where did it come from? All the engineering and design and so forth. And he spends all his time in the car, getting the value out of the car without driving it to where his new challenge, that was his second conversation with me. Our third one is going to be in about six months. And in that time, he's going to decide, I think he's going to get rid of the Jag. He was telling me on his own, I'm probably, I forget if he said probably, but he's thinking about getting rid of the car. And this was like coffee cups. Like that's a lot of coffee cups. If you talk about the amount of matter, you know, and also it's something he's looked forward to. He, he, you know, his whole life was a big aspiration. And when you think of whatever that means to you, the Jaguar doesn't stop meaning what it meant. It doesn't stop. The thrill of driving it is not any less. It's not have it. Not that is becoming more valuable. And that's one of the things that keeps me going on this podcast is like all the frustrations of like right now, the designers and it's all, it's all really annoying. But then you get a guy who's telling me, I just said, I invite you to take on a challenge. He's like, well, I'll not drive for, I'll not drive more than a certain amount. And then he on his own, is like, I'm going to maybe get rid of this thing. What more are people capable of? Like what, this is just scratching the surface, I think. Anyway, what I'm curious is you said some things that I was almost like, oh, let's wrap up right there. Cause it sounded like you were getting some big realizations and anything that you want to share with listeners now having gone through your second transition transformation. I would say just start with something and just be consistent. And once you really got it down, ask yourself if you can take it to the next step. That's it. Start and be consistent. Pretty simple. Yeah, I think we're, there's a lot of people not doing that. It's so easy to say, if that industry doesn't change, then what I do doesn't matter. What would you say to that? I think we need to understand that as a collective unit, as humans, we call the shots. I mean, the people, the populace, we call the shots. It's not the corporations or it's not the politicians. Like They work at the mercy of us so long as we allow them to continue to operate it. And so you just need to understand, like, with the power of the masses, the power when the individuals come together, you can really create a movement, but it requires individuals coming together. You as an individual, you need to, you know, not allow these corporations, these institutions, these politicians, these policies to really continue to enact such policies in such a way that requires you to change your habits first. Now I want to ask a little bit more. That's you interacting with society. How about you with yourself, either behaviorally or emotionally or relationships with others? I mean, what would you say to other people? And then I asked, how would you respond to someone who says, if they don't change, then what I do doesn't matter. How's it affected your life? I guess your intentionality is just so important. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just look at myself as myself. And how can I better myself before I better others? And for me, at that point, it takes away that dilemma of like, whatever, well, that person's not going to change, so why should I change? Like, I don't know. I think that's kind of a, for lack of a better word, a lame way to look at life. For you only just to act in such a way that is at the hands of the approval and the support of other people. I think, I don't know. I don't, I don't agree with that. You got to act for, you got to act sometimes in accordance with your own values and yourself and your own growth. The opposite would be the opposite of leadership. If you're like, I'm not going to do it because they're not. That would be you're following them. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably want to lead. Yeah. And it's so simple. I really think it's simple. It's not that hard. Let's wrap it up right there. Yeah. So thank you very much. And I look forward to hearing how things develop. Thank you. There's no question in my mind that RJ is continuing to rise. He's barely getting started. I consider his Lead Palestine work inspiring how he's connecting kids and mentors in ways that they've never done before, in ways that they value, in ways that the community values, in ways that give people a way of doing things 
completely different than they had done before and productive. I presume you heard the passion he spoke with for what he did. Please also click the link to go to his TEDx talk to see the passion that he speaks with there. And I think that if you want passion like that, a great way to get started is to put the attention into the details for things you care about. If that's the environment, I recommend working on that. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.